0: Well, Pastor Jeff is away hunting with a group of men and boys from our church, having a good time in the woods, and I'm Tom Owen. I'm the pastor of small groups here, and so I'm going to be sharing with you today, and I hope that today's message is an encouragement to you because I think it's something that all of us can relate to, everybody in this room, because we all need second chances at times, don't we? and third chances, and fourth chances, and fifth chances, all of us here at one time, if not right now or next week, we need second chances. Now, we never want to need a second chance, but when we do receive that second chance, isn't it a blessing? When we get that weight off of us, when we've really messed up bad, and then then we re- receive forgiveness from God or forgiveness from somebody else, and, and it, it's such a blessing when we Receive that second chance. At the moment, it's usually not very fun when we need it, but sometimes you can look back. I know in my life I can look back and see the times where God gave me a second chance and it it was miserable at the moment, but kind of funny looking back. You have any experiences like that? When you look back at the stupid things that you did and, and you received a second chance, you're like, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? I remember this one time in particular when I was still in college and I lived in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I was working, I I heard a woo for Chattanooga, Tennessee. We have somebody from Chattanooga here. And so I was working for a rental truck agency. And I had worked my way up to an assistant manager, which basically means you get to do everything the real manager doesn't want to do. And so I was working all day on Saturdays. And in the rental truck world, Saturday mornings are very busy and Saturday afternoons are dead and empty and boring. And this is the early 90s. And so in the early 90s, I didn't have a a phone where I could check football scores. You're just sitting behind the counter trapped all day. And so I thought I would do something to liven it up, to keep my interest in the afternoon. And being uh, in East Tennessee, I thought, well, here's what I'll do. This will be fun. I'll answer the phone in a very thick East Tennessee accent. That'll be fun. It'll be a little goof I'll do today. It'll be a lot of fun. Now we were in East Tennessee and the accent in East Tennessee is is very, very peculiar. And at my company, you had to answer the phone in a very specific way. That was the lifeblood of our business was the phone. So here we are, three in the afternoon, bored out of my mind. The phone rings. Finally, a call comes in. Thank you for calling U-Haul. You got Joe Bob here. And then there was this long pause. Uncomfortably long pause. The next voice I heard was the voice of my boss. (laughs) Who has a very thick East Tennessee Accent, no caller ID back then. And the only thing I heard him say was, Tommy, don't ever do that again. (laughs) Yes, sir, no problem, yes. I don't know what else. That was somebody else, that's not me. And my boss gave me a second chance. He could have sent me home, he could have docked my pay, he could have demoted me, he could have done a number of things, but he gave me another chance. I was so grateful Aren't you grateful when you receive second chances, especially from the Lord? And we've been singing about it this morning. God is so awesome, and he pursues us. He loves us, and he'll do whatever it takes to draw us to himself so we can receive those those do-overs that we need in life. Now, how come we continue to make these mistakes? How come that is common to everybody? Well, if you read Romans chapter 3 and 23, it just explains it, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. Everybody here, everybody who has ever lived as a human being sins. God has decided the standard for life, right? You go back to the book of Exodus and you read the Big Ten, you can see this is God's standards for living. And when we fall short of those standards, it's sin. And all of us have been sinning ever since. So we all need second chances. Well, the good news is God loves us and he wants to provide that second chance. And so we're going to see that in the book of Jonah today. So turn over to the book of Jonah. It's a tiny little minor prophet book right in between Obadiah and Micah. And oftentimes when we think about the book of Jonah, it brings up cartoon images of of stories that we tell children about Jonah and the whale and things like that. And that's all in there. But really, the book of Jonah from beginning to end is a book of second chances. And right here in the beginning, right here in the beginning, you see two groups of people that are in desperate need of second chances, but for different reasons. The first thing we're going to see is how God talks about the Ninevites here. Jonah chapter 1. Let's read the first three verses. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amitai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid a fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. So there's two groups of people here. We have the Ninevites and we have Jonah and both of them are in desperate need of a second chance. First of all, the Ninevites. We see the Ninevites' sins of commission. They were committing sins. They were actively doing wrong things. In verse two where it talks about this great city and their wickedness has come up before me. God was well aware of what was going on in Nineveh. Now Nineveh is an actual actual city and you can go to northern Iraq today and see the remains of the city that lasted for hundreds and hundreds of years. Most historians believe that Nineveh was one of the biggest cities in the ancient world, touting 600,000 in population. Now that's a big city in today's Sanders, right? But back in the ancient world, this is a massive, massive city very prosperous, very cosmopolitan, but very pagan. It was a Gentile or non-Jewish city. So all their paganism was ensconced and they had all these different religions and, and, and the wicked rituals went with them. But most people look at Nineveh and at their immorality and what stands out to them is that they were especially violent. The way they warred, what they did with their prisoners, what they did to their people. They were just, they were a brutal, brutal city. And they needed a second chance. And so God was gonna send to them the prophet so that they could receive that second chance. And I think that we can all relate to Nineveh in some way or another. Now we might not be as wicked or as brutal, but just like the Ninevites were committing sins, they were actively doing wrong things You and I fall into the same boat, don't we? I mean, there are times when when we are actively doing something wrong and we know it. You know, what's become popular today is, well, it it was an accident. I didn't really mean to do this or mean to do that. I didn't really know any better. But there are times when we know better. When we just are actively doing something that we know is not right. First John chapter one, verses eight to 10. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. All of us, all of us, At one time or another, struggle with sin, with uh, actively committing things against the will of God. So the Ninevites had sins of commission. Jonah was a little bit different. Jonah had sins of omission. He knew the right thing to do, but he was refusing to do that right thing. We see here God is calling him to go to Nineveh, but verse three, he rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, he found a ship which was going to Tarshish, he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He is trying to run away from God's will. Now a couple of verses you might wanna write down and, and look them up for yourselves later is 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. Jonah was a prophet of God. And his prophecies did come true. He was a God follower, a very real person. Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 to 41. Jesus refers to Jonah as a historical person. This is not just a metaphorical book that was created to teach a lesson. This really happened. Jonah loved God. He brought forth prophecies. He did the right thing, but in this case, he was refusing to go and do ministry to this pagan nation. For whatever reason, he did not like those people, and we're gonna see that throughout the story here. He did not wanna go there and do ministry, and he refused. Now, probably Jonah could have said, well, you know, God, I'm not wicked like those people. I just don't wanna go. I'm not doing this bad thing. I'm just not going to do this good thing. And the lengths that Jonah went to to avoid this. Now, look at it. It says that he didn't want to go to Nineveh, which was 500 miles north of where he was. Instead, he chose to go to Tarshish, which was two and a half thousand miles west. Even though a 500-mile trip is pretty substantial for the ancient world, he chose to go five times the amount of distance away from where he was hearing from God. That's how desperate he was to not listen and obey God. Not only did he travel five times the distance, but he paid out of his own pocket. That was a substantial amount of money just to get away from the location where he was at when he heard God speak to him what God was working in his life. Wherever that place was, whatever localized situation that was, he was desperate to get away from God. Of course, it didn't work. (laughs) We cannot really outrun God. And we cannot really refuse to do what God wants us to do without consequences. And we all do the same thing. I mean, we're pretty rough on Jonah, and and he kind of deserves it he deserves some criticism we're going to see throughout this story but we all do the same thing there are times when god wants us to do something that's a that's a good thing and we come up with excuses not to do it but what does the bible say james chapter 4 verse 17 therefore to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it to him it is sin Just as much sin as when we are committing acts against God, not doing good things that God wants us to do is the same thing. It's still sin before God. Sometimes we try to justify it and we say to ourselves, well, I'm not doing anything bad. I'm not as bad as those people. I'm better than those people. But God might be calling us to do something good. Disobedience is disobedience. You know, maybe God wants us to reach out to a neighbor, even a neighbor that might be a little difficult to talk with. And we can come up with a lot of excuses. Oh, Lord, somebody, Lord, send somebody else over there. I don't, I don't have time for that. Those person are mean. To me. Can you send somebody? No, maybe God wants us to go to that neighbor. Maybe God wants us to be generous or he wants us to do some random act of kindness or volunteer here at church or maybe God even wants us to go into the ministry and do that for a living. And when we refuse to do the good thing, it's a sin of omission, just like Jonah here. But the good news is, the good news is whether we are omitting doing a good thing or we are committing bad things god desires to give us a second chance he does not write us off he does not kick us to the curb he does not look and say boy you just you just keep you know, i'm just tired of it you know god wants to give us a second chance and he will do whatever it takes to draw people to himself and in this case he is using a storm and a fish Let's keep reading. Verse four. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and it was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, said, how is it that you are sleeping? Get up. Call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us that we will not perish. Each man said to his mate, come, let us cast lots that we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Now, When they would cast lots in the ancient world, they would assemble a a group of rocks or or sticks that had markings on them and they would shake them up and they would cast them out and, and try to use those markings to determine God's will or God's plan. These men did it out of superstition. Sometimes the Jews did it out of faith, trusting the sovereignty of God to turn the rocks according to his will. It's interesting that in this case, God superintended the superstition of these people and the lot fell to the right person. It fell to Jonah to show that this was all his fault. Verse eight, then they said to him, tell us now on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to them, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. The sea will become calm for you, for I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rode desperately to return to the land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Think about what's happening here. These men made a living on transporting cargo. Cargo. The storm is so bad that they're dumping all their cargo overboard to lighten the ship. That's just like taking money and totally throwing throwing it away, but they feared for their lives. They find out that it's it's Jonah's fault. And Jonah, as we're going to see, Jonah is an emotional wreck all through this story. And he just goes to him and says, just kill me. Just throw me off into the ocean. You know, that'll work. Just throw me over into the water. They were reluctant. Even these pagan men didn't want to do that, so they rowed desperately to try to get to land, and it didn't work. God was using this storm to get everybody's attention. And there's a couple things to note here. Jonah talked to them about why he was on the ship. The people knew it was his fault. They knew that it was his sin. I think that's something that we can pay attention, attention to this morning. Most of the time, when we are doing things that we shouldn't be doing, people see it. People know. They can tell. They might not know exactly what's going on, but they, they know something is wrong. Not only that, in verse 12, Jonah knew it was his fault. When we're doing wrong, we know We know, we can try to run away and we can try to get distracted from our sin and stay, keep our mind occupied on other things. But there's times that things happen and we just just know, I know. I should be doing this or I shouldn't be doing this. We know. And our sin not only is evident to others and to us, but oftentimes it affects other people. In this case, it was going to cost these men their lives. Our sin does not happen in a vacuum. Now, not all the time does it affect other people, but most of the time. Especially when you consider when you are living in sin, you are not your best you. You're not living like God created you to live, so you can't help and love and affect other people in the way that you should. Our sin affects everybody around us whether we want to admit it or not. And that's what was going on here. God was using this storm to get everybody's attention. And so what does God use to get our attention? When we are doing wrong, or when we are failing to do right, what does God use to get our attention? His word, a song that comes on the radio, Maybe a, a good friend that'll put their arm around you and say, are you sure you should be doing this? Think about what you're doing. Maybe when, when life is quiet and you're by yourself and the spirit just, is just wrestling with your heart and trying to get your attention. God will do whatever it takes to get our attention and, and sometimes when we don't listen to all those things, sometimes he will send a storm. And we never wanna get to that point, do we? I don't want to get to that point. I've been at that point, and I don't ever want to be at that point to where I'm not listening to God so much that he has to send a storm to get my attention. Cause storms aren't fun. I have a good friend of mine who went through a storm one time. He was pursuing his dreams. He was very successful in his business. Everything was going right. And then he got desperately ill and was on his back for three years. In the prime of his, of his youth, he was 25 years old. Picture of health. Educated, successful, on his back for three years with no explanation. As to why it was happening. In the midst of those three years of staring at a ceiling in a hospital, he realized, I'm, I'm supposed to be in the ministry and I've known it for a long time. And I've been ignoring it and God had to put me on my back before I'd listen. He finally got up from that hospital bed and got trained all over again and is still in the ministry today, some 10, 15 years later. We don't wanna get to a point to where God has to send a storm, do we? We wanna listen because God loves us and he will do whatever it takes to draw us to himself. So we have the storm going on here Everybody's attention on the boat has been had here. So how do the people respond to God's drawing in this story? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 14. Then they, the men of the ship, they called on the Lord and they said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. These men were probably Phoenician men. When you look at the trade routes of the ancient world, they were pagan, ungodly men. Remember in the beginning of the story, you had the captain of the ship going around and telling everybody, To call on their God. You call on your God and you call on your God and you do your ritual and you do your thing and maybe we'll figure out why this bad karma is upon us. They were all godless men following false gods. But then reluctantly they threw Jonah overboard. The sea went smooth as glass and they realized the one true God was there. He was real. And so they turned to him They repented of following the false gods to follow the one true God and you can see evidence of it because they prayed to him, they sacrificed to him and they made vows or promises to him. These people that were following the wrong gods turned to follow the true God and they got a second chance. What about Jonah? How did he respond to the Lord's drawing? Verse 17. And the Lord appointed... This is after Jonah has been thrown into the ocean. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. Do you think he's praying to the Lord? He's in the stomach of a fish. I think if you find yourself in the stomach of any kind of animal, You are praying to the Lord desperately. I don't care who you are. This is what he prayed. I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol, which is the grave. You heard my voice, for you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me, and your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth, with its bars, was around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, into your holy temple, Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Jonah repents from his disobedience and turns to God. And you know what's interesting from this story is the fish... The whale, whatever it was, actually saved Jonah. The whale wasn't the punishment. As you read through the passage here, Jonah was thrown into the ocean. He was drowning. He was going down to the bottom of the sea there. The whale came along and swallowed him and saved him. It was the depths of the sea that was his judgment. But God lovingly. Graciously, did the only thing that could save him when he's drowning in the sea, and he brought a, a, a large sea creature that could swallow him and sustain him for a few days. And so Jonah turns to the Lord. He receives a second chance, chapter three and verse one. This is something very important to underline in your Bible. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. The second time. Jonah could have thought to himself, boy, God is done with me, I've I've really messed it up. Have you ever felt like that? I've felt like that before. Boy, God God has gotta be losing his patience with me. I keep making the same mistakes, I keep doing the wrong things, I keep avoiding his will, God is definitely, definitely done with me. And here is Jonah, he's dying, he's drowning. You know he's thinking this is it. No more chances, but the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. God was not done with him. God is not done with you and I. As long as we are alive and breathing, we have an opportunity for another chance. Regardless of how many times we have failed, If God instructs us to forgive one another 70 times seven, which means in an infinite amount of times, he will be faithful and he will forgive us over and over and over again. Not that that gives us license. We'll talk about that in a little while. But God is willing to forgive us just like he was Jonah. So Jonah turns back to the Lord and fulfills his mission. It's an amazing thing. And so as he does that, remember the Ninevites? Where this all started, they now get a chance to have a second chance at life. Chapter three, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, proclaim to it the proclamation, which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk which means if you were to walk around this large city, it would take about three days to go around the circumference. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk. That means he spent a full day going through the middle of the city preaching to as many people as he could there amongst the population. And he cried out and said, yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. In other words, it's like a, it's like a countdown. He's telling the people, you've got 40 days before God rains judgment upon the city. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth and sat on the ashes, which is an extreme expression of remorse and repentance. He issued a proclamation and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water, but both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which He had declared He would bring upon them. And He did not do it. The key thing to note in here is that when these people of this city realized that God was truly upset with the way that they were living, but that they had a chance to follow Him, they turned from their wickedness. It's a term for repentance. In other words, they were actively committing sins and they realized we're going the wrong direction. We are going to repent. We are going to turn. We are going to do the right thing. And God took notice. And God said, that's exactly what I wanted. You have a second chance. All I wanted you to do was repent and turn towards trusting me. And now that you've done that, you get to live. You get to keep your city. You get to live as I created you to live. It really is an amazing story. So you see through this whole thing, God is drawing simple people to himself. They repent, and then God restores them with a second chance. We see what the the Phoenician men of the ship did with their second chance. They, They made promises, they made vows. We see the Ninevites, they were excited about following God and decided we as a nation are going to do the right thing by God. But what about Jonah? What about our prophet? What did he do with his second chance? Chapter four, verse one. But it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. Now now think about how ludicrous this is. He got a second chance to do ministry. He got a second chance to go to this great city. And when he got there, the whole city by and large turned to God. Revival broke out. They're not wicked anymore. They're not, they're not involved in immorality. They're doing the right thing. You think a preacher would be pretty happy about that. I went to the city and look, it turned out great. That was awesome. Wow, look at what God has done. But he was not. He's not happy about it. Let's see why. Verse two, he prayed to the Lord and said, please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abundant in love and kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better for me to live better to me than life. The Lord said, do you have a good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city. He sat east of it, and there he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen to the city. Amazing. Now there's a lot here that we can see about Jonah. Jonah is an extremely emotional person. And one could argue, when you look through this entire passage, and the passage we're going to read as we conclude here in a couple of minutes, he might have been emotionally unstable. I mean, he had some serious difficulty. He's on the on the ship, and there's a storm, and he's like, "Oh, just kill me, just, just kill me, throw me in the water, just let's get this over with, throw me in the water." And then over here, he sees revival breaks out. Oh Lord, just kill me, just can you just I don't even want to live and see these people do right. He's going to ask a third time to die here in the, in the remaining passage. So he's got some issues there. Why did he hate these Ninevites so much? Not sure. Maybe it was a prejudice. Uh, maybe he was a little overly nationalistic and didn't want any non-Jewish nation to prosper. Maybe he was worried they're going to conquer them someday because they were such a, a large nation. Who knows? We could ask him one day when we get to heaven, because he is a true prophet of God. So we can go up to him and say, Hey, Jonah, what was the deal with you? Why were you so angry at those people? But before we get too upset at Jonah, let's think about ourselves. Don't we all have some certain sin that we have a difficult time forgiving? I mean, let's just be honest. Don't we have something like that? That we really have a difficult time overlooking in somebody or forgiving somebody for? If somebody abuses children, that's hard to forgive, isn't it? Deep down, I mean, let's just be honest. Deep down, don't we say, boy, I hope they get theirs. Let's just be honest. I'm not saying it's right, but we're humans. Or maybe if if we witness racism... That's a difficult thing to overlook sometimes, isn't it? Hypocritical Christians. And we're like, oh, I don't want them to get right. I want them to get theirs. That's where Jonah was at. And all of us at times have a a, a struggle with something like that. Not only do we struggle with that, but all of us have some sort of weakness in our life. Some, Some tendency towards some sin that's difficult for us to overcome. With Jonah it was his emotions. His emotions were so high and low, he, he, he really got twisted at times unnecessarily. And I think all of us have some kind of weakness. It might be different from the person you're sitting next to, but all of us have some kind of area that we really struggle with over and over and over again. But the good news is, We keep coming back throughout this entire story. No matter how disobedient Jonah is, God loves him and wants to draw him to himself. He is not done with Jonah. You would think God would say, you hate those people. You hate what I'm doing over there. You don't want to see them get right. I'm done with you. But that's not God. God loves us so much. And so God gives Jonah a second, second chance. Verse 6. So the Lord God appointed a plant and a group over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, do you have a good reason to be angry about the plant? And he says, I have a good reason to be angry, even to death. It's hot out here, God, don't you know? It's so hot, I just need to die. Then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work, and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left, as well as many animals. The reference to 120,000 persons who don't know their left from right is probably a reference to children. And so God is showing the disparity between his attitude and Jonah's attitude. He's saying, Jonah, you're worried about your comfort. And I'm worried about the people, even the animals God throws in there. I even care about the animals, much less the children. And all Jonah cared about was being comfortable and about ungodly people being judged. It appears that Jonah was a little self-centered. Wasn't very concerned with what God wanted for whatever reason, for whatever reason. So what happened here? What did Jonah do with his second, second chance? Well, we don't have a verse 12, do we? We don't have the end of Jonah's story. We don't really know what he did with this situation. We just don't know. I believe God leaves it ambiguous on purpose because I think God wants us to look at ourselves. How are we going to write our story with the second chances we've received? So we don't really know what Jonah did after this, but there's a few things that we do know from the book of Jonah. The men of the ship, the ungodly men of the ship that were following the wrong gods got a chance to follow the one true God, got that second chance to live as they were created to live. Jonah, who was running away from God in disobedience, got another chance to do the right thing. The Ninevites, who were living wickedly, violently, got another chance to turn and do the right thing and live holy to the Lord. Bottom line, all of us need and can receive a second chance. You might be here this morning and you might be thinking to yourself, You know, I can relate to something from this book. I need another chance. And it might be the 50th chance, but I need another chance. Well, the good news is, as Jonah said, chapter 4 and verse 2, God is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger. He is abundant in loving kindness and one who relents concerning calamity. The storm doesn't have to come. The storm of God's chastisement. It doesn't have to come. If we'll simply turn from whatever disobedience to God by faith and ask for that second chance. Whether we're committing sins or sins of omission, God is ready. And he's willing to forgive us. 1 John 1.9 simply states, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If there's something you need to deal with today, I encourage you to deal with it. You could deal with it right from your seat or after the service, there'll be people down here if you need somebody, somebody to pray with or just somebody to listen. Don't let it go unnoticed. Get that second chance today. Maybe you need a second chance from somebody else. Of course, ultimately, we sit against God and we sit against each other, but maybe there's somebody that you have really blown it with. Go to them. Try to get that second or third or fourth chance. Do the right thing. You can receive that second chance today. But the last thing I want to leave with you is simply a question. And I I hope this question just follows you around. I hope it follows me around every single day. Because as we saw, there is no verse 12. As we saw, we we don't really know what Jonah did with his second chance, his second, second chance. And all of us in here have received second chances at one time or another. In a room this size, it, it represents thousands and thousands of second and third and fourth chances. So the question is, what are we gonna do With the second chances that we've received. What are we going to do with them? Our story hasn't been written yet. Our verse 12 is yet to come. And it's up to us. What are we going to do. With what God has done in our lives. With the do-overs that he's given us. I think. I think we can do great things. By his power. If we live for him. I do.